Amen. You know what happens when over a period of years, every time you come in here and you confess that, I'll never be the same? You're not the same. Amen. You're not the same as you were. Aren't you glad for that? Turn to somebody and say, well, I'm glad if you're not, hallelujah, that you're not the same. Praise the Lord. I want you to go with me over to Isaiah chapter 11 for just a moment. And uh, we're talking about no fear here, but specifically tonight, understanding the fear of the Lord. And when you get a grasp of this, you find out that uh, if you begin to truly understand and walk in the fear of the Lord, uh, it'll deliver you from every other fear. It'll force out and push out every other influence, anything that goes bump in the night, anything that would intimidate you, any latent phobias or your insecurities or you're your afraid of people. How many know that the fear of man disables? So, you know, we could sit here all night and talk about the things that have come against your mind, against your heart, and against your life, but the Lord would have you be free of all of them so you can function at the highest level that you possibly can. And to do that, you've got to be walking in faith. So what happens if you plug into fear? You unplug from faith. If you plug into faith, you plug into, amen. Of course, so you see that dynamic, but of the, the spirit that is upon our Lord, and whose spirit do we have? The Spirit of the Lord, in verse 1, a shoot will come from the stump of Jesse, from his roots a branch will bear fruit. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and of power, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. And of course, you've had a teaching on the sevenfold Spirit. But I want to zero in on this phrase again, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. Uh, if you've been here at all, we talked about the word delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you what? Desires of, of your heart. Delight means to derive your greatest pleasure from. So on the surface, without revelation about what the fear of the Lord is, it seems kind of a strange thing to say that he delights in being afraid of God. But that's not what it means at all. His greatest pleasure and his greatest you know, pursuit, the, the highest goal, the pinnacle of, of what he would want and he would want for us is to actually pursue and walk in the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will get his greatest pleasure and derive his greatest pleasure from walking in the fear of the Lord. Now we know in Philippians 2.12, uh, 2, we've talked about this as well, Scripture tells us to continue to work out your own salvation with what? With fear and trembling. This is the same kind of a concept here. God's not wanting you to enter into fear as the world would define it, as man would define it. But you continue to do this. Your salvation is always unfolding. Its benefits are always being derived. God is always doing something good in our lives, isn't he, church? Turn to somebody and say, he's up to something good. Say again, he's up to something good. Uh, praise the Lord. Well, you continue to work out your own salvation, your own soteria, your own soundness, your own wholeness, with fear and trembling. Now, what does that mean? It's, it's obvious that he's talking about that your manifestation of salvation, you walking in your salvation is tied to not a fear of man or phobias or things that go bump in the night. You know, one person said it like this, we're not afraid of the dark, we're afraid of what's in the dark with us. <laughs> Amen. Uh, so we know that this is tied directly to a revelation of the fear of the Lord. How are you going to excel in your salvation? Working out your own salvation with fear 
and trembling. You have to understand the dynamic that's going on here. So it's obvious that uh, at least the Hebrews would, would teach their children the concept of the fear of the Lord. In the Christian experience and, and you know, in heritage and, and history, not so much. You talk about the fear of the Lord. People talk about, you know, if you do something wrong, God's going to hit you in the baseball bat and knock you into the next county, this kind of a thing. And that's not at all what the fear of the Lord is. So I want to make sure we understand what it is and then how it works in your lives. And then the, the powerful promises that are attached to it. I promise you this, your best life is tied directly to you walking in the fear of the Lord. And how many know that's doable? Not fear of man, not fear of circumstances, not fear of Putin, not fear of anything. Amen. But walking in the fear of the Lord. Now, the fear of the Lord does not mean to be afraid of God or to be frightened by Him. Say that with me. To be afraid of God is not the fear of the Lord. Now, if you are outside of the covenants, if you've rejected God, if you've rebelled from Him, then yes, you should be frightened of Him. So how someone on the outside of the faith, the, the heritage of faith, the people of faith, the community of faith, the people of God, yeah, you, your attitude should be, he's mighty and awesome and wonderful and you should be afraid of him. What should happen though when you get saved? You're not frightened of him anymore because he's not against you. Aren't you glad for that? He is, he is for you. Next is 20, 18 and 19 tells us, uh, of a people that did not want God to speak to them directly. They said, if he speaks to us, we will die. What did they want? They wanted a mediator. They wanted Moses to take the heat for them. Well, how do you understand that there's no Moses standing in between us and God anymore? There is the Lord Jesus Christ as our mediator. And now we have a relationship with the Father through him. And it doesn't produce fright can I have an amen? And if it, if it does, because you're basing your view of God or your image of God based on your relationship with a natural father figure, that's unfortunate. But I can tell you this, no matter how great a father you might have had or didn't have, that pales in comparison to the way your heavenly father is. He did not set us up here and put us on this planet because he wanted to take us out. I mean, these are all you know, efforts of the, of the enemy. And the one who instills fear and fright, of course, is the one who comes to steal, kill, and what? And destroy so the thing you fear the most, and here's the key, is what you ultimately will obey. Whatever is working in your life, whatever fear is there, you're going to obey. So take the situation in Ukraine. Right now, uh, we, you know, we have uh, shoulder-filed uh, missiles, we have javelins over there, we have stingers over there, which are capable of taking out aircraft, helicopters, in-flight missiles, tanks, armor carriers, and right now they're destroying 50 of these a day. The Ukrainian army is destroying 50 of these a day with what they've been given. Now, I want you to see here the, how crazy fear is. All right? If we have a no-fly zone over Russia, that will make Putin mad. But if we kill his troops and kill his helicopters with ground-based missiles, their shoulder fired, that won't bother Putin at all. Is that even rational? But that's the fear that if somehow the Poles send in their, their aircraft and we replace them with F-16s down the road, that is going to ratchet everything up. Hey, we've lost already because we're in fear. 
We could have been involved in this a long time ago and done the right thing and just simply say, you know what, if you want to hit military targets, you hit a military target, but you hit one more civilian target and that's it, the air is off limits to you. You can battle this out on the ground. The problem is he knows the people that are there don't want to be there. Most of the soldiers that are there were lied to in the first place. They didn't even know they were going to war. They thought they were on exercises and many of them didn't even know they were in Ukraine until the Ukrainian army started firing at them. How's that for confidence in your leadership? Then he lied about having conscripts there in Ukraine. We don't have any conscripted soldiers, and they're all over the place, completely. See, this is the dynamic that goes on here. So what do our leaders fear? An unhinged Putin. What do you obey? Whatever you fear the most, that's what you're going to obey. Now, in our context, we shouldn't be fearing anything but whom? but the Lord, and then understanding what the fear of the Lord is and walking that out. Um, I believe there's going to be a tipping point, but the question you have to ask is, how many buildings, how many kids, how many women, how many mothers, how many elderly? There's a limited food, there's limited supply. Oh, by the way, it's not warm outside. I read a story today of a Canadian uh, fighter who was in Iran and Iraq, he was a crack sniper, and he walked in the dead of night across the Polish border into Ukraine to help these people. See, patriots come in all nationalities, and other Canadians are coming with him, but what he's doing now, he's embedded with an organization, and when they need his skills, they, they're using them, and apparently they're working because they're knocking off officers left and right. Three or four generals have been killed in the field already because of what is going on. Is that necessary? No, these people shouldn't die either. These young Russians shouldn't be dying either over the stupidity. But what right now, our people and NATO and the European allies are, are kowtowing down to fear. And there's not even been a shot fired. That's how well fear will work. Say, whatever I fear the most, that's what I'm going to obey. The greater the fear of the Lord, the less we operate in fear in general. Boy, once we get a hold of the fear of the Lord and we begin to walk in it, the less we have fear of anything. And um, I want you just to, to believe God tonight that he's going to deposit that into your heart. Amen. Amen. Say it again, no fear here. No fear. There are five dimensions, and really there are six uh, dimensions of the fear of the Lord I want you just to, to meditate on tonight. And I want you to see this as one uh, very big indicator of where you are in your Christian maturity. Uh, where you are in these six dimensions will tell a lot about where you are tonight in terms of your maturity in the Lord. For example, if all you know is he's big, he's huge, and he's going to punish me, and he's going to knock me in the head, and that's your revelation of God and his nature, it says you're not very mature in the things of God. Your revelation is low, and your maturity is low. But if you get to tonight the higher dimensions of this, to walk in the higher dimensions of what it means to walk in the fear of the Lord, it's going to say something about your maturity and how much you understand His nature. But it's not just going to be a marker of your maturity, it's also going to be a marker of your effectiveness, your ability to believe God, your ability to stand and fight and deal with things that come at you. Um, you know, when, you're, when you understand what this is and you're standing in that place of, of the fear of the Lord, it's a powerful place to be. Because there's nothing else in the universe that even bothers you. Amen? Look at somebody and say, it just doesn't bother me. No fear here. 
Go over to Proverbs chapter 9. Are you a receiver tonight? Proverbs 10. They're both real good, but we'll go to 9. Yeah, yeah. And 9, verse 10. (laughs) The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. You see that? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Uh, So is it important to start there? Yes, but we also see this verse, it tells us that revelation or knowledge of the Holy One is a, is a pathway to understanding. So the first dimension is, is just fear, as somebody would understand fear. I'm afraid of God, I'm fearful. The beginning of wisdom is to know that uh, He's God and you're not. Amen. He's all-powerful and you're not. He's all, you know, knowing and you're not. He's everywhere present and you are not. And yes, there is a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. And uh, with all these pansy preachers out there who are saying there's no more hell out there, we get a hold of the scripture. Because they're going to send a lot of people to a place called hell that's very, very real. And very, very powerful and very, very horrible. And that's not what God intended for people at all. You're going to pick up the mantle of man of God and woman of God and you're going to pick up the responsibility of preaching. Tell people the truth. There are some things outside of revelation of his nature that you know people in the natural ought to be afraid of, and going to hell is one of them. Amen. It's often said you can't believe in God without believing in the devil. And you can't believe in the devil without believing in God. And if you believe in a heaven, you have to also believe in a hell. So unless you become an annihilist where you just cease to exist upon death, then you have to believe that there is, in fact, something to gain and something to shun. But how many know that's not where we want to stay? Spooked and afraid and constantly in torment because you never know what's going to happen to us. There are people that live that way. There are people that actually believe that if they're not in church tonight in town, they're going to go to hell. They're taught that. If you're not physically here, it's proof that you're not right with God. Now, I I believe you should be in church. Come on, give me a good amen. You need to be here. COVID has been a wonderful experiment what happens to Christians when they're not in church. They wither and they die. And that's not even the bad part. They lose their appetite for the things of God. And once that happens, they have no desire to be around the people of God. And that's very different. See, that's a, a high view of God and a love for God. That's very different than walking around with a level one dimension of fear where I'm afraid not to because I'll go to hell. People should never impart that kind of theology to people. Teach them they should be there because it's the will of God. But attaching their, their eternal destiny to whether they showed up to a church on Wednesday night or not. Some of y'all at home are going, Phew. <laughs> sure, I'm glad, sure I'm glad we don't believe that. Yeah. <laughs> Say it with me, I'm going to heaven. But how horrible is it to have people living at that level? And here's the deal, you catch them 30 years later and they still believe the same thing. They may or they may not be going to heaven depending on how they're doing day by day. Aren't you glad it's not what you did or do? It's what he did and it's faith in what he did and continues to do in your life. What a horrible way to live. I'm glad you are not living at that dimension of fear. Come on, raise your hands and say, I am so glad 
I am not living at that dimension of fear. I mean, how could you possibly have peace? How could you possibly have victory? And every day you think, this might be the day that I get squashed like a bug. Because, you know, you never know what God's going to do. That's the voice of fear. Write that down. Anytime you hear somebody say those words, you never know what God's going to do. That is the voice of level one, dimension one fear, living and talking and believing. I'm not a one part of that. How about you? <laughs> that, that's, even as a little you know, Lutheran kid, I never believed that way. Amen. The second level is reverence. In Exodus 3, 5, Scripture says, Didn't come here, uh, remove your sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is what? Is what? Is holy ground. You, you should at some point in time mature beyond just fear or fright to a place where God has uh, uh, reverence in your eyes. You revere Him. You're in awe of Him. You're a wonder of Him. Now, you don't want to stay there because that's problematic as well. But the Scripture says in Hebrews 5-7 that uh, He was heard, speaking of our Lord, because of His what? His reverence. His reverence. The modern church oftentimes ignores the need for us to have reverence for God. Amen. And, you know, in our tradition, pretty much anything goes. I mean, if uh, uh, you, you feel like you got an itch, you know, just, just get up and move around, you know, mull around, slam the door. For a long time, you had somebody in the middle of my message every week go out that side door and slam that door. And I'm thinking to myself, how in the world can you possibly treat the things of God that way? Amen. I'll take a better amen than that. Amen. Now, people have health issues and things going on, and people that are trying to help, and sometimes they're carting people in, sometimes they're carting people out. Uh, you have a real health issue, that's one thing. But we have a real lack of reverence, Jim, that I think we actually had in the Lutheran Church in many ways. And it needs to come back. People will ask me, you know, babies crying. I mean, you know, a concrete floor, but somebody knocks over their metal water bottle. It's worse than like chalk on the chalkboard, scratching the nail on the chalkboard. I mean, the whole, the whole church can hear it. They can hear it on the air. <laughs> uh, how can you do that? Babies crying, things knocking over, people doing this, people doing that. People, you know, surfing while you're preaching, slamming the doors. You know, after you do this a while, you know what you're called to do. So reverence or not, I have a choice and a decision to make myself. Well, I reverence the things of God and do what I'm assigned to do. But the modern church could use a lot more of this. Not fear, but what? Reverence. Reverence in His presence. Reverence during prayer time. You know, reverence during the Word. You know, when it's time for a decision and an altar time, uh, you know, getting out of the church, you know, as fast as you possibly can, is not reverent for God. And in your personal lives, having reverence for him as well. You know, respecting him at a, at a level that he really deserves, you know, to be respected and revered. And, of course, we know that Jesus lived that way, and it's what he, you know, attempted to teach, of course, his disciples, and it's something that we need to see. Now, by reverence, I don't mean dead. Uh, you know, some, some church services, it's quiet, it's not reverence. It's just dead. <laughs> and we had some of that growing up as well. Amen. But uh, if you move from fear to reverence, you don't want to just stay there in terms of your revelation because that's not God's highest dimension for you. Everybody say fear. fear. Reverence. reverence. 
Number three is honor. This is when you begin to understand and get into the flow here of the direction he's trying to take us. First Samuel 2.20, the Bible says, He who honors me, I will what? I will honor. He who gives the greatest weight to me, I'll give what? Greatest weight to them. And that's what this really means. Uh, he's reverent. Uh, we're reverencing him, but we move on to a place where we honor him in what we think, what we do, what we say, where we are. Uh, we give him the greatest weight. In other words, we're learning now that a lot of people have opinions, but whose opinion matters the most? Amen? Well, that church thinks this, or that preacher thinks that, and this person over here. You get to the place at this level where the word begins to be first place in what? Final authority in your life. What did God say? Right now, what's he saying to our church? Fear not. So the person who honors that is going to do what? They're going to walk in this. They're going to receive this. They're going to allow the Lord to do a new thing inside of them and push this old fear out and walk victoriously. The, the one that honors God, he honors them. And honor is not just, uh, you know, with words of warm fuzzies. You know, it's everything about us. You honor him with your life. You honor him with your substance. Honor the Lord with what? The first fruits of all of your what? Your increase. There's a mentality that understands honor is, is not a lifestyle. It's not just something I did in church two weeks ago. Um, Keith Morris Church in Branson, that scripture is gilded over the top of his platform. You can see it as soon as you walk in the door. Those that honor me, God says, I will honor. Is it important to walk in honor? Oh, there's a huge, huge lesson here and, and study here in, in Revelation to, uh, to understand and, and walk in in terms of honor. But in terms of the fear of the Lord, the, the fear turns into reverence and the reverence turns into honor, the third dimension. And you and I start living this as a lifestyle before the Lord. How many say that you're living more honorably than you were five years ago, ten years ago? Yes, we're, we're works in progress, but at least we're what? We're progressing. Turn to somebody and say, you are progressing. You are improving. You are developing. Glory to God. The fourth dimension is the dimension of love. Fear gives way to reverence. Reverence gives way to honor. And honor gives way to love. We're told to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, our mind, our soul, and our strength. And love our neighbor, what? As ourselves. But it first revolves around loving God. So how do you understand now that loving God, we've gone a far piece down the road from being frightened? Does he want you afraid of him? No, he wants you to love him. By choice. Amen? Because that's what God is. God demonstrated what? His love for us while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. For God so loved the world. Is it clear that God loves us? Are you clear that God loves you tonight? Are you clear about that? Well, that's what he wants. He wants a reciprocal relationship. He doesn't want us walking around being robotrons, you know, forced to do what he wants to do or we're going to get knocked in the head. No, he wants us to what? Love him because now you're on the path of getting rid of the fear. Perfect love does what? It casts out all fear. Now as you love God, you know somehow, some way. Why be afraid? Because you know somehow, some way, God's going to come through for you. Amen? You may not know how. You may not know the circumstances. You may not know the mechanism of how he's going to do this. But how many can, can witness that he's come through for you time and time and time again? And some of y'all need to hear this tonight. He's going to come through for you again. Why? Because he loves you. 
He's going to give you solutions and wisdom and ideas and concepts. He's going to be your supplier. He's going to be your healer. He's going to be your deliverer. He's going to be this for the whole time you're on this planet so you will accomplish your purpose in this earth and your destiny. And then when you leave this world into the next, he is still going to be what? The God that makes a way. No matter what you face. It's kind of interesting what's on the other side. Look at somebody and say, you haven't seen anything yet. We love him because he first loved us. God doesn't want me walking around scared of him. How many fathers would, would not want your kids, every time they got around, you'd be petrified around you? Is that, are there occasions where they might need to be? I remember my sister, you know, I was in the other room, you know, and I, you know, whenever mom and Tammy got into it, you know, Tammy had a real attitude growing up, had some issues growing up. I, I, I was the wise one. I left the room. I mean, I don't want any part of that. <laughs> I'm over here. And I remember she said something to her that no, no young lady should ever say to their mind, their mom. And I saw my dad step up and got right in her face and said, you ever say that again to my wife, I will plaster you against the wall. That would have been a pretty good time to be afraid. Because I... <laughs> Because I've only seen him two or three times, you know, where he was that, that serious and that sober about something. And I mean, I stand disrespecting somebody like that is a big deal. Well, um, you know, now all Tammy does is torment the devil. Amen. Amen. Look at somebody and say, if Tammy could do it, you can too. Hallelujah. <laughs> Amen. Amen. He doesn't want me to walk around afraid of him, you know, or just... You know, and, and, and reverence to the point where I'm not functional or in honor without understanding he wants this thing to move forward. Um, but you know what? If you're stuck at fear, if you're stuck at the, the fright level, you're not living your best life. You're not living the way God wants you to live. Honor gives way to love. And then love gives way to a thing called obedience. And uh, John 14, 15, Jesus said these words, if you love me, you will what? You will keep my commandments. Now we're starting to get some traction on our revelation here. I don't, I'm not afraid of him. I'm moving from fear to reverence, from reverence to honor, from honor to love. And what does love do? It obeys. If I really love him, I'm going to do what he tells me to do. This from John 14, 21 from the King James Version. He that hath my commandments... And keepeth them. You see this? You have them. That's great. You have a Bible. That's great. But what are you doing? You keep those commandments. He it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my father. And I will love him. And will manifest myself to him. So what's the key? If I have them and do them. Then that means I love him. If I have them and don't do them. I may have some measure of the fear of the Lord, but I am not walking in the full revelation of this thing. If I'm not doing what he says, guess what? I'm not demonstrating love for him. God demonstrated his love. So if that's the model of love, an example of love and the nature of love, then what does our love towards him look like? Demonstrating our love by doing what he says to do. Say it, I'm a doer of the word. And the promise here is that he's going to manifest himself. How many like to see more manifestation of God? 
Raise your hand if you'd like to see more manifestation of the glory of God, His presence, His power, and His goodness. Do you know that the Bible here is, is pointing out a revelation and a secret that most Christians to this day still don't get, that if I will obey Him, I will see more of His glory. If I will obey Him, I will see more of His manifestation, His presence, His power, and His goodness. The religious you know, person is so afraid they never get to a place of revelation. And a lot of people liking reverence and liking honor towards the Lord, liking love. Oh, it doesn't take all that. You know, whatever God says will happen anyway. I, it has nothing to do with me. You know, put, positioning yourself for God's best is something that you have to do. And I'll tell you that people are getting great results around the world in the things of God. If you want to be one of those people, then you have to position yourself as well. And the way you do that is with a thing called obedience. Say obedience. Say it again. Say obedience. So my fear moves to reverence, to honor, to love, and then to what? Obedience. And the more I honor him and demonstrate that with love and obedience, the more of his manifestation I'm going to see. Uh, it's common sense, and yet at the same time, it's, it's, it's a far cry from when you hear, I'm afraid of God, versus somebody who understands what that fear of the Lord actually means. When we delight in the fear of the Lord, guess what we're actually delighting in? Obedience. We are delighting in doing the will of God. Jesus said, my meat is what? To do the will of the one who sent me. It's being willing and obedient. That is what a person who understands the fear of the Lord is operating in. I'm going to obey him. How many of you know sometimes you can obey him and not be willing? Sometimes you can be willing and never get around to obeying Him. Let's say it with me. I am willing and obedient, and I'm eating the fat of the land, the good of the land, the good things that God has for me. But here's what I want you to see. Say it with me. Fear, to reverence, to honor, to love, to obedience, to holiness. And this is where we lose a big chunk of the American church. It doesn't take all that, you know. Case Sarah, Sarah, whatever it will be, has nothing to do with me. Yes, it does. We still need to be reminded that God is not the one that picks and makes us vessels of honor or into dishonor. We do that ourselves. And we do that ourselves by what we're doing with the things of God. Obedience actually translates into a thing called holiness. Being separated unto the Lord for his purposes. Say it with me, I'm a saint. What does saint mean? Well, you know, in the Catholic tradition, you have to have miracles and you have to have, you know, so many things ascribed to you and then be dead two or three hundred years in the ground. And, and then if you're really good, they might make you a saint. Listen, when Jesus rose from the dead and you got born again, the day you got born again, you became a saint. A sanctified one. A set-apart one. But that doesn't mean you've arrived. Sanctification is not instantaneous, period. It's instantaneous and it's progressive. You instantly became separated from sin, the devil, the grave, and hell. Aren't you glad for that? But how many of you know that uh, in your early days as a Christian, you hadn't arrived yet? How many of you have made mistakes in the past year or two? Sin against God? That's proof that what? You are a saint that what? still sins from time to time. That doesn't make any sense at all. That's because we're trying to think humanistically about the concepts that are theologically derived 
from the Spirit of God. You are a saint. You are righteous. You're a righteous person that at times you yield to and you choose to sin. Say it with me. Sometimes I choose to sin. I, I, I really can feel that you enjoy that. So let's say that again. Sometimes I choose to sin. Nobody made you do it. Some of y'all are in my generation. You remember Flip Wilson, the devil made me do it. No, sorry. He may have dangled something in front of you or tempted you, but you chose to do it. So what's happening is the fear you know, turns to reverence, it turns to honor, it turns to love, it turns to obedience. And obedience turns to what? A lifestyle that is progressively more holy before the Lord. And now we're starting to understand what it really means to fear the Lord. How many would say that Jesus perfected holiness? Jesus walked in the fear of the Lord. If you're not walking holy or don't care about it, there's really a better way to put that because we're all headed in the right direction. How many know one day you will have perfected holiness because he is going to be making you like he is? But you should be, uh, you know, not righteousness. Don't confuse the two. Righteousness is your blood-bought gift of God. He took your sin and gave you his right standing. Holiness is what happens as a result of that. Now our behavior and our mind, our language and our thinking, our purposes, our motives, all the things that people don't know about in their hearts, they begin to line up with the things of God as well. And it happens over time. And the more you do, the more you're walking in the fear of the Lord, the more victorious you're going to be. And automatically, you know, depending on what your church tradition is, it may go to the length of your hair, it may go to the length of the sleeve of your dress, it may go to how much makeup's on your face or what gold you have dangling from your ears. It may be completely and totally external or religious, but the kind of holiness we're talking about is the holiness of the heart that springs over into the behavior and into the appearance of people. And Gene Jackson was superintendent of Tennessee, he pastored outside Nashville, and um, he had a prostitute walk in the door. And she was not dressed for Sunday service. And she wasn't there to meet somebody. She really had a hard cry. She was reaching out for help. And a deacon came up and said, you know, don't ever come into this church dressed like that again. And the pastor happened to be within earshot of this. And he pulled him aside later on. He said, I stuck my finger in his, in his gut and I said, you ever do that again, I'll personally wipe the parking lot with the seat of your pants. How could she possibly have what? How could she possibly have external holiness until she has internal holiness? That's where the grace comes from in the church. Now, when Ben Priest got born again, spirit filled and turned on for God, you know, he, he led a bunch of his brothers into a sleepy church in Mississippi. You could imagine rolling up to a church on Sunday morning and there's 50, 60 outlaws behind you. Amen? Can you imagine that, that experience? How in the world can they possibly have external indicators of holiness if they're not born again yet? Amen? But I'll tell you how, how God works and how God does things. You know, the, the favor of God on that motorcycle ministry has given them entrance to outlaw clubhouses all over the country, relationships with, with pagan leaders, and, and now many of them coming to the Lord, national officers coming to the Lord, all by what? By expecting people to first be transformed from the inside out. 
And it's always funny that uh, even when you talk to people that, uh, you know, minister with T.L. Osborne and, and was involved with his crusades in Africa, when they would go over there, they would preach to thousands. No one had a stitch of clothing on. They'd go back six months, a year later, you know what? Not because some Western missionary told them this is how you look. You need to dress like us. The Spirit of God told them. This is what you need to be doing now. And it transforms, not, not by starting with the dress, but starting with what? Starting with the heart. So God is mostly concerned about that. So write this down. I think it's interesting that even, the, you know, even the faith to faith today, you want to read that devotional, was dealing with this and actually put out a tremendous definition of what holiness is. Holiness let me just say this first of all. Holiness is a static and consistent state of obeying God. You're walking in holiness when there's some consistency to your lifestyle. Not I obey him here and obey him there. and Maybe every once in a while like a blind squirrel I find a nut. But I've made up my mind to what? To walk in obedience consistently. That's what the fear of the Lord is all about. Everybody say it with me, consistently. And Glory said this years ago, she was seeking God about, God, how do we get breakthrough? How do we get our needs met? You know, how do we see you do these things in our lives? You know, how do we see you do miracles and signs and wonders and, and heal people? And she said the Spirit of God told her it was inconsistency that lies the power. Say it with me, consistency. That's where the power lies. Consistently walking in obedience is a thing called holiness. But here's what, here's what they said. Ordering your conduct according to the word of God and the promptings of the Holy Spirit. Period. That's what holiness is all about. Ordering your conduct according to the word of God and the promptings of the Holy Spirit. Being in one mind with God. Amen. Isn't that great? Being in one mind with him. What he thinks is what you adopt. Amen. Let the wicked man do what with his thoughts? Forsake his thoughts and his ways and take up God's thoughts and his ways. I love this definition. Ordering your conduct according to the word of God and the promptings of the Holy Spirit. So you may be going through your day and as much as you know you're lining up with the word of God. But how you know the Holy Spirit can give you a directive at any moment. And holiness is to obey that. Now watch this. You're living according to the word. You get up, you have your devotion, you're going about your business, and um, all of a sudden you're out in the grocery store and the Holy Spirit tells you to pay for the person in front of you's groceries. That's a holiness issue. At that moment, you have a choice to obey the promptings of the Holy Spirit. That is, in fact, an issue of the fear of the Lord. The person that puts their card down, gives them cash, obeys God at that moment, that person is walking in the fear of the Lord. Do you see this? You're sitting in a church service and you're, you're petrified to give a tongue an interpretation or to walk up to somebody and say, can I pray for you? And you lay hands on them and God begins to speak through you. And you don't want to do that. But the Holy Spirit is prompting you to do that. The person that yields to that is what? Walking in the fear of the Lord. But the fear of what? Somebody rejecting them, making fun of them, the fear of what? Making a mistake. Can I tell you something? They're making a mistake when it comes to gifts of the Spirit. That is not the unpardonable sin. In all my years, I have never seen a pastor that I've ever been around, including myself, drop kick somebody because they may have been off a little bit. I'm preaching, Benny, are staring at me right now. 
But why won't you do it? Why won't you lay hands on the sick? Why won't you give that prophecy? Why won't you give that tongue that interpretation? Well, we've got Wilma and Barb and, and, you know, we've got a few people over here like Jackie, and, and they'll step in. Have you ever thought that maybe they're stepping in because you don't? The Spirit of God's going to get His Word out. Right? So you're operating in fear, but it's not the fear of what? Of the Lord. When the Spirit of God tells you that, you know what, you blew this and you need to apologize or take responsibility for something, and you do it, you're walking in the fear of the Lord. You're walking in holiness. To not do that is to not walk in holiness. This is so critically important as, uh, you know, as to where we are as, as a church in America right now. So few people understand this. I think the holiness is just external and it's just religious jargon and going through the motions and looking right and talking right. But it's day to day. Day to day lining up with the Word. Why? The Word is clear, isn't it? The promptings, that's between the Spirit of God and whatever He wants you to do, day by day, hour by hour. But the Word of God is what? Consistent every single day. The fear of the Lord means we're going to live up to what we have as revelation. Right? We know thou shalt not kill. How many glad you haven't killed anybody this week? I am so glad you got revelation over that. You're walking in holiness as it pertains to killing people. Right? But some other areas you may not be walking in holiness. Because you're not walking in the fear of the Lord. So it's the word of God, but it's also what the Spirit of God is trying to tell you. Amen. In these last days, do we need to pay attention less or more to his voice? We need to pay attention to his voice even more. It means being one with, uh, in mind with God, turning from the ways of the world. And they point this out. It doesn't happen by accident. It's a decision of the will. Every day you get up and say, yeah, I what? You remember that old Maranatha song? I choose the fear of the Lord. Say it with me. I choose the fear of the Lord. Now, somebody hears you saying that that's not under this teaching. They're going to think, I choose to be afraid of God. That's not what we're talking about at all. We're talking about, you know, being afraid of God in this sense. We, we fear him enough to reverence him. We reverence him enough to honor him. We honor him enough to what? Love him. We love him enough to obey him. We obey him enough to walk in holiness. That's what it means to walk in the fear of the Lord. And I wish I'd understood that when I was much younger. Amen. But congratulations, now that we all have the revelation, we have to live up to it. To who much is given, <laughs> much is required. And that's what it means to walk in the fear of the Lord. Now, somebody who's walking every day in the Word, and, and somebody who's walking day by day, moment by moment, under the promptings of the Holy Spirit, is the Spirit of God going to lead them into compromise? No. No. Is He going to lead them in the air? No. No. So that's how I walk, what, day by day in the fear of the Lord. That's how I walk day by day in holiness because he's never going to prompt me outside of. The Spirit of God is never at odds with the Word of God. Say it with me. It's never at odds. The Spirit of God and the Word of God, just like Jesus and the Word are one, the Spirit of God is never, ever going to contradict the Word. So every day you're in the Word and every day you're following the promptings. And so if you say, well, I'm, I'm just not going to do that. That's, I don't, I'm not comfortable doing that. At that moment, see, you stepped out of holiness. Do you see this? 
Your tradition may tell you that your hair should be a, a certain length or your dress should be a certain cut or your suit should look a certain way or you should dress a certain way, whatever the case may be. You can have all that. And then the Holy Spirit say, go tell that person, give them a word. You see that? And you won't do it. I don't care how you're dressed, you're walking in unholiness. And that's what the modern church needs to hear. Now, praise the Lord. Wear your hair the way you think you're supposed to. Dress the way you think you're supposed to according to the dictates of the Word of God. But by all means, take care of those things. But guess what? At the end of the day, make sure you're obeying the urgings and the promptings of the Holy Spirit. Um, there's a friend in the ministry, and he ministers in this area. And uh, he, had a, you know, he had an issue, uh, a moral issue. And he was basically separated from his church. And he was working for a friend of mine in town in their business. And in, the con in, in conducting that business, I saw him one day. And I was not thinking, go up and deliver him a word from the Lord. You understand what I'm saying to you? Yes. But, uh, and I was, was not there for that purpose. I was there for an entirely different purpose, an entirely different mission. But the Spirit of God came on me as I saw him standing back there, you know, away from the crowd, and I saw him standing back there. The Spirit of God came on me and said, go over there and deliver the word that I give you. And the word that I gave him, I can't remember a lot because most of you know this from watching this play out. I don't remember a lot of things that would come out of my mouth prophetically. Uh, tongues, interpretations were just, you know, or even speaking, teaching and preaching and, and move over to the prophetic. That's just the way it is, you know, for me. But I remember that, that I told him that, uh, you know, what has happened the Lord still loves him. God is for him, has a purpose for him, has a plan for him. And basically, God was in the process of restoring him. And he's going to bear greater fruit than he ever has in his entire life. Now, I saw this guy. He's, he's bigger than me. Now, I saw as I just turned away, just tears streaming down his face because God had something for him. Now, that day, I know it's hard to believe, but that day I had a suit on. <laughs> All dressed up and cleaned up. You understand? Looked the part, had a Bible, amen, glory to God. But guess what? If I had refused to do that, that would be an unholy moment for someone who's supposed to represent holiness. Look in the part, got the Bible, got the tie, even a tie. <laughs> Those things are of the devil, aren't they, Barb? They're just of the devil. <laughs> Jesus never wore them. Come on now, Paul never wore them. So why should we have to wear them? <laughs> ah, praise the Lord. How many of y'all still remember Windsor Tripp and Sister Tripp? Sister Tripp, uh, Brother Tripp and Sister Tripp, uh, uh, Church of God background, been involved in the AG for years, and he would mow his lawn in a suit and tie. Not kidding you. Every day, and she every day dressed to the nines. I'm lying about it. I mean, just elegant, just perfectly dressed and everything. And there came a time when we were in the domes where we were transitioning from me dressing in a suit and tie to something a little more casual. Not quite this casual. It's Wednesday night. <laughs> and this particular morning... Um, and of course, I, you know, they're just, they're just wonderful people. And, and she was just always, you know, just beautifully dressed and elegant. It was really a different, a different time and era, really, in our, in our country. And uh, that's the way they were. So this particular Sunday, we're, we're now over here. 
and I'm normally not dressed in a suit. That morning, I had to do a funeral right after the service. So guess what? I didn't have time to go change and then go up to the funeral home. I just went ahead and wore a suit, and I was standing right there where Kelly's at, and during fellowship time, she made her way all the way from back over here, over to here, and just kind of got real close to me like this. She goes, you look really nice today. <laughs> she won't let me know <laughs> what she thought about my dress code. Hallelujah. Are you here today? Amen. Years ago, um, when the brother Jerry had taken the church over and there were just a handful of people left, the district was about ready to shut the thing down before Jerry and Rudy came. I've told you this story before. There was a gentleman there who was basically tithing at such a level that you could imagine if you only have a few people, that somebody who's been blessed in tithing is going to really help that church, you know, stay, you know, above water. And, uh, and uh, you know, he, he did. He tithed faithfully. One day he came up to Jerry and he said, uh, I, I don't think it's, it's holy for you to wear your hair like this. It's, it's too long. And the way he had it styled, it may have looked a little bit different. And Jerry said, basically, I tell you what, if, uh, if you measure my hair and your hair and my hair is longer, I'll gladly get it cut. But if not, everybody say externals. Come on, say it, externals. But if not, you know, we'll just, we'll just call the truce here and we'll just kind of let it, let it play. Um, they measured their hair, and guess whose hair was longer? The guy that thought Jerry's hair was too long. And just you could see the spirit of fence rise up. And he, he walked out, and they're like, how in the world are we supposed to pay the bills? Do you know, a few, uh, few weeks later, the Lord sent this man in and said, I'm supposed to come to church today. I'm a pig farmer, and I just turned you know, my, my pigs over and sold them, and I'm supposed to bring the tithe here to you today. I can't remember how many months of bills that paid, but Reed told me one time, just a lot of, a lot of the bills paid. How many understand God has to send a pig farmer in? Yeah. Amen. Now, is that holiness? Yes. Trying to control people with your money? Um, one word of faith guy was, was confronted by a member and walked into his office one day and said, I don't like what you're preaching. And that means my family don't like what you're preaching. We've been here a long time. We're the biggest giver you got. And if you don't stop preaching that, we're leaving. I don't know what he's preaching exactly, but I promise you it was probably along the same lines of the things we preached. And he said, I'm sorry, but I have to stick to the Word of God. And he said, fine, I'm gone, and they're gone. Our resources are gone. And he walks out the door, and he looked out the window, and he said to the Lord, he goes, there goes our biggest contributor. And the Lord said, no, I'm still here. Amen. Come on, say it, I'm still here. Yes, yeah, say it, I'm still here. Is that, is that holy? No, it's not holiness. What we want to do is make sure we're lining up with the Word of God. Say the Word of God and the promptings of the Holy Ghost. It didn't make any difference that day, you know, that I, I had my suit and I had my Bible and I looked all religious. If this guy is in such great need that he is broken and destroyed and the devil's telling him he's through and probably people are echoing that. He needed what? He didn't need my suit. He needed my holiness. You see what I'm saying to you? And by that I mean what God is doing in me and through me. He needed me to walk in the fear of the Lord that day. So I would have what? Reverence and honor and love and obedience enough to walk in holiness that day and deliver that word. He's in, he's in a church right now 
and it's gone gangbusters. And, uh, you know, um, he tells his version of that story, and he's pulled me aside on more than one occasion and told me these words. And this is the power of the fear of the Lord. Jesus only did what the Father told him to do, right? And he only said what the Father told him to say. He's walking in what? In the fear of the Lord. And this gentleman has told me on, on a couple occasions that the Lord literally saved his life with that utterance. Because at that moment, God broke in and told him, I'm still for you. You still have a future. There's nothing like being Word and Holy Ghost people. But what good is it if we're not going to do what we're supposed to do? So from staying away from things you should be staying away from, amen, overcoming temptation, amen, to do walk it out, dress as God has told you. I don't think modesty is going to hurt our church. going to have an amen. amen. Respecting us and other people, right? Once they're born again, once they're in the house of God, they begin to adjust in what they're doing. But day to day, if we're not going to walk in the holiness that obeys the promptings of the Spirit, then what's the point? Amen. And the Spirit of God would prompt Jesus. He would go over here and he would go over there and the Father would say, this is what needs to be done. And you could just see it. I mean, like to see more miracles and signs and wonders. Right? He said, if you love me, and keep my commandments. Right? Not just have them, but keep them. My Father will what? Love you and we will manifest more power, more presence, more miracles, more signs, more wonders. That's just one of the great benefits of the fear of the Lord. Say it with me. The fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord. Hallelujah. Say it. Go from fear. Say it. From fear, fear. to reverence, fear. to honor, honor. to love, love. to obedience, Please. to holiness. If you're truly fearing the Lord, then you're going to live a holy life that springs forth from obedience, love, honor, reverence, and fear. Amen. And that's why I said at the outset, this is a maturity issue. It can tell you real quickly how mature you really are in the Lord. Say this with me. Every urging, every urging of the Holy Ghost. Say it with me. I line up my conduct according to the Word of God and the promptings of the Holy Spirit. Can you see how that's real time? Day by day? Well, I look this way, I dress this way, I talk this way, I believe this way, that's all fine and dandy. Amen? At some point in time, somebody needs you to be their breakthrough, their victory. That's going to come from real holiness. Amen? Give them a hand clap and thank them for that.